You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. How could you explain that, you know, other than the colleges um, being places where people were starting to discover new music and the whole uh, national identity thing really grew with the old progressive rock thing. And then you have kids like Piggy from Voivod who grows up in a in such a context. And he starts picking up progressive rock licks and he starts, you know, liking that. But he's also living in a region where there are bikers everywhere and hard rock shows everywhere. So he's listening to stuff like Ocho's, Um, a band in which he would play later on in his life, but he would like the progressive rock, but he would also go to see Anvil in the early 80s when they would come and tour in the biker um, in the biker network of bars. So basically, you mix all that and you get Voivod. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media. I hope you guys had a glorious weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops Metal Podcast episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal was one of Montreal's premier metal promoters, and I am so, so stoked to tell you that they have started booking shows again. So far, they have announced that in the fall, Ginger is coming. And right before Christmas in December, they got all them witches coming through. So excited to see who else they're bringing through Montreal. It's going to be amazing. I am super, super honored to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm also asking you to rate it and write a review because when you do that, more people just like yourself will be able to discover the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. When someone is looking to listen to a new podcast, What do they do? They scroll down. They read the reviews. You could be the person that helps sway someone into becoming a brand new Vox and Hops head. And that would be something that I would truly appreciate. On today's episode, I'm with Felix B. de Bossy and Yann Campbell. They just dropped the English translation of a book that I have been cherishing for years called No Speed Limit, The History of Quebec Metal. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 259. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I am with Felix B. De Fossi and Yen Campbell, and I am very, very stoked to be with you because you guys just did something super cool. You guys just dropped the English translation of No Speed Limit, the history of Quebec metal, which spans from 1964 to 1989. Uh, so stoked to be with you guys. You guys are Quebec metal legends right now. I, I'm <laughs> serious about this. Uh, let's start with a simple question of how are you guys doing? Pretty good. This has been really, really nice. I was not expecting anything from, you know, when we put out the French version, I wasn't expecting anything. And it turned out being like the biggest project in my whole life. And uh, now that the English version is out, I actually wasn't expecting anything either. And uh, I'm doing podcasts with people in, in the UK and people uh, elsewhere in Canada and stuff like that. And it's just totally cool i love it it's it's crazy so yeah doing pretty good <laughs> that's also how about you yen ah from my part i'm very damn good uh, better than my uh, english speaking <laughs> <laughs> and um for my part i mostly help felix on this project because uh, originally like 15 years ago i had this idea with felix and louis girard from saint Frais magazine that we we can put like a a, a book together um to reunite in one in one project uh, everything that was said uh, about uh, on the websites, the forums, the magazines, but there was no book about the local scene. So we went about uh, over this, and finally, me, uh, Felix, did his part, you know, and uh, so and this project is going very well, better than we thought. So I will say, like Felix, I'm feeling very very well today because of that. Fantastic. You know what else makes us feel really good? Craft beer. So so. <laughs> what are you guys drinking on your side tonight? Because Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about their lives and music and craft beer. How about you, Phoenix? Well, tonight I'm actually having um, a, uh, a, well, I was, uh, yeah, I have two different brands. 
<laughs> in front of me. But this one, I already drank it. Okay, so this is not what I'm drinking right right now. But this beer right here is perfect for the occasion. My friend Jean-François Gibson at uh, Gib Boutique Spécialisée here in Rouen, he's like one of the kings of the whole microbrasserie. Uh, uh, you say craft beer? Craft, in yeah, craft beer. See. Yeah. So basically, he's like one of the kings of the of craft beer, and he uh, he was my uh, my drummer in my band for years. And we really? played music together for 20 years. Yeah, and um, he, for my birthday, he gave me this Voivod beer, and I was like, oh, I heard about it. I looked for it at Peluso in Montreal, but I didn't. I couldn't find it just because there's just too many beers, and I didn't bother to ask anyone. But <laughs> no, that, and that's my problem. I'm sure they had it, but uh, Jean-François Gibson gave me that for my birthday. I just drank it and it's really, really good. I love it. It's by Opfen Stark. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope I can. I'm pronouncing that right. And see that Voivod Lost Machine. And it's a really good beer. I love it. And I actually drank it in this really cool uh, book. Is that how you say it in English? Yeah, it's a book. Yeah. It? yeah, yeah. The beer book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so we actually use the English words. Uh, I think it's a uh, German the, word. The German word. That's why. Oh, really? Yay. So I, I, w- I was I was going to try to say thank you in German, but I realized that I don't know any German. Danke so. schön. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. So it's easy. Um, the original buck from the Montreal Mustache Bar, but like from the late 60s when it first opened, it was a Dixieland jazz bar. So you have a man and his mustache, Norm Silver's Mustache Bar. Um this is a really cool artifact that I I'm not I, I don't know if I if I did put it in the book or not. I know I tried to scan the, the thing and I wanted to put it in the book, but I, I can't remember if it ended up in there. But anyways, it's my favorite book because uh, it has all this history. And then after being a Dixieland jazz bar, well, it became the heavy metal bar of the 80s in Montreal. So that's why I, I love it. It's so cool. And that that. That Hoffensark brew is amazing, and it's a very unique uh, style of brew. They actually warm up these stones in a fire, and then they drop that into the boil, and it, and it releases these minerals into it. It's, it's a very, very unique brew, very uh, German-style brew. Uh, killer, killer. How about you, Jan? For my part, uh, kind of dull. I'm kind of straight. I don't really drink, so... Uh... Um, drinking some sometime drinking some wine that's my bourgeois side you know but uh, tonight I don't have any uh, any wine or any beer I have a kind of a, um, uh, problem with my belly so I can't have fun right now so I'm just drinking nothing neither water just nothing that's even more metal yeah <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's more metal to drink nothing even if it's not water you know so uh, I know that here we have a lot of uh, not a lot of we have a lot in Rouen Aranda, the in our in our own town, a lot of craft beers uh, amateur or uh, big fans of that, and it's really really popular over here. So every time friends came home, you know they don't come with a course or Budweiser. Did this this error is like centuries ago in the, in their head. So now it's craft beers, quality quality craft beer, uh, local or import, but. At least here in the Rouen, it's really popular. I think I'm the only one in town who don't drink craft beer over here. Mm. But you got, you got to take care of your health. And I remember you mentioning that to me because we were supposed to actually do an interview together uh, two years ago, uh, right after I started the podcast when we were coming through uh, Rouen Aranda with Aborted. And I totally went to Gib that night and spent a bunch of money and picked up a bunch of beers that night. And I also went and uh, actually recorded an interview at uh, Le Trefle, which is uh, what I'm going to be drinking. Shout out to, to, to David Baudouin uh, for making sure that I got this beer tonight. This is their uh, Cherno Pivo. It's their Imperial Stout, but it's the bourbon barrel aged version. I'm going to crack this. Let's talk about beer. Let's talk about our very first beers. Do you remember the first beers you've ever drank? Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that for sure. And it was with one of my friends. I was in grade six. Wow. And I was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, actually, I believe that night we went to a, uh, a, a local dance, you know, there was this, uh, this dance that the sixth graders were invited to um, when uh, they were preparing to get in the, into the second, secondary school, right? And uh, when we came back from there, uh, his parents were home, but his older older brother was there uh, with a couple of friends and they were listening to like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Nirvana and stuff like that. It was around 1993. And uh, they had this um, 
really classic Molson export beer <laughs> laying there on the counter. And I said, hey, can I get a taste of that? You know, I was trying to act cool. You know, you're like 11, 12, trying to be a teenager. And uh, they said, yeah, yeah, why not have a beer, kid? So I picked up that beer and I thought it was awful. I really didn't like it. But my grandfather would hate me to say that. And uh, may you rest <laughs> in peace. Uh, he was um, he was the local Molson representative yes, in yes. the 60s. Yeah. So he, um, he sold beer. And let me tell you that in Abitibi, Temiskaming, back in the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of beer that was <laughs> drank in bars and hotels and stuff like that. So he did make a little bit of money with uh, with that Molson beer back in the days. And he also was very close. And that's a very cool fact. Um, those In those days, um, Molson and the Canadians were really, really close. Well, they still are, but they were very close together in the Montreal Canadiens, the hockey team, of course. And uh, a lot of the players in the 60s and the 70s were from Oenaranda. We had like a lot of old school hockey players. So basically... Some of them, when they first uh, were hired by the Montreal Canadiens, they were not paid that high. It was it's, it was not like it is today. So during the summer, they would come back in town and they would have to find work. So they were working for my grandfather as delivery guys. So basically, you had players from the Montreal Canadiens we're coming back to town in the summer to deliver beer for Molson in the 60s. It's crazy, man. People like Rejaul, you know, Peanut there? Well, he's still around. Yeah, well, he was doing precisely that. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you, Yan? Do you remember your, your first, first beer? Yes, uh, yes and no. I remember that uh, in my family, they, uh, they uh, are a big uh, fans of beers. But for my part, I don't know why, okay? Uh, I'm supposed to love beer, but I never love that very much. So probably I'm like the, the worst uh, guest you can have on your show no, right now no. to talk about beer. Um, <laughs> I'm more on wine, you know? I remember uh, being really, really drunk on wine and especially... When we were touring with Naraxis, uh, they were drinking beers because beers on tours is almost free, but not wine. I have to pay my own wine because I'm a bourgeois, you know. So I went to get this blush California rosé wine uh, for like five bucks or something. So sometimes I was buying two bottles and it, it was on the on the tour, especially with Necrophagist back in 2006 ago in the U.S., and I remember everybody was drunk on beer. I was drunk on wine, so I was maybe talking too much. Uh, maybe I was enjoying life and being really enthusiastic about everything. Uh, because wine gave me, uh, I can say that, uh, some... L'envie de parler tout le temps, blah, blah, blah. It makes you want to talk a lot. When... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking way too much. And I remember that on beer, I was maybe like 15, 16 years old, but... For my part, it was not like my favorite drink, but uh, so I never really uh, grabbed or stole beers in the fridge of my parents, mostly their wine. Uh, I didn't give you a proper introduction. You you did used to sing for Naraxis, uh, as as that everyone now knows, and I apologize for that. Uh, this is killer. This is uh, boozy as hell, um, but not over the top. It's got a great mouthfeel. It's creamy. Uh, some chocolatey notes, some coffee notes. Killer, killer stout from. What's uh, it called? Because I, I don't remember seeing that one. Is it is it new? It may be new. I, I sure, no should have done my homework on that. I apologize, but uh, it's killer. Mm. It's it's really really damn good. It's like a like a more intense version because they've aged it in bourbon so originally i think it's it's six percent and now it's hmm. at 8.7 killer oh, that's very interesting you know which uh, my favorite uh, beer by um the trefle noir is the auburn evil i'm mm. um oh yeah my favorite craft beer uh style is um uh scotch ale uh, so yeah i'm <laughs> I, maybe i've been drinking a little bit too much but um <laughs> yeah scotch ale is my favorite type of craft beer and the auburn evil by the trefle noir is awesome you can't drink too much of that because it really uh, gets to your head uh, <laughs> like really quick but um it's really i love it when i go to the for a uh, scotch ale i go for that and uh, that really is my favorite beer by them awesome. for myself it's yeah. their ghostbuster i love it six percent imperial ghost goza i i drink that in the summer in the park thinking that it's a three percent beer and 
then realize it's a 6% beer. <laughs> realize you can't stand up. <laughs> um, yeah, and you never really dove deep into the craft beer scene. But, uh, Phoenix, do you remember uh, what your first cra- craft beer would be, your first beer that uh, of higher quality that showed you that beer could be more? Yeah, totally. And it's uh, it's a, it's I'm it's funny that you you ask that because I told you about the um, Jean Francois Gibson of Chez Gibb here in Rouen. Him and me, we played music together for twenty years. He was my drummer. I was the singer and guitar player. And uh, we actually lived together for a year on Rachel Street in Montreal, right on the corner of Iberville. And that was um, around I would say two thousand three or two thousand four. And back in those days, well, we were young and thirsty. So basically every other night we'd end up at the at the at the Depanar right across the street, which which is called Paluzo. Paluzo, of course. That's right. And uh so we'd go there and buy a 12 pack and you know, drink beer. And um at a certain point, um Jean Jean-François was drinking a bit more than I was, but you know, I'm not trying to to say he was more of an alcoholic. Yeah, I was more, uh, I was, I was already working in bars, so I was not drinking at home. That's, that's the main thing. I was, I was a DJ at Pub Le Balafri back then. And um, so he kind of got tired of, you know, drinking the, the old Budweiser and stuff like that. And he realized that there were some craft beers in the back, but you know, it really was nothing like it like is, it, now. It is yeah. now, you know, now it's a, uh, a grocery store basically uh filled with beers but um back then they they add a, a nice little selection and uh you, you started you know tasting different beers and i believe one of the first ones i tried was like um either dieu du ciel or something like that um and it was because of him trying different types of beers uh at peluso around 2003-2004 and um I remember his his dad coming over to, to visit, and he said, you know, and his dad was a Depanar owner, but here in in Rouen, and he said, Dad, you should you should go check that out because they have good beer there. They have different types of beer, and they started together tasting different beers, and this is how they basically expanded the mission of their regional Depanar because of how it was happening at Peduzo because of the whole selection that was. They're at Peluso, so um, and now they are. Uh, Shegib are like uh, a, a really, really nice place. They have a crazy selection. They were pioneers here in the region. I remember um, Jacques Gibson, you know, taking his little van, stopping in Montreal, getting a box of whatever uh, craft uh, brewery here and then going to Rimouski and then getting a couple of boxes and then going all the way to whatever Gaspésie or saguenay lac saint jean and then fill, basically fill up his own van with different so beer, cool. craft beers and coming back to the region to sell them. But it, it, it was there was no distribution. It was him yeah. who yeah, was yeah. going around picking up the beer and bringing it back in our region in Abitibi. So this work that they did, I was just around. I was just a a, um, a witness of what they were doing and tasting here and there a couple of beers. But it kind of, it, it, it's it's an empire that was starting and I had no idea. <laughs> and now they are references. Super cool. Super cool. Let, let's dance yeah. into metal. Uh, let's talk about your very first shows. The first show that you went to go see. What, what would that be? Let's start with Yen. Okay, um, that's really simple. The first show, the, the really first, like the first real show I went to, I organized it. So really? it was, uh, yeah, it was in September 97 here in Rwanda. And the show was Covadis with Naraxis. Too bad I didn't know. So, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I passed through uh, Stephen Henry. He was uh, Naraxis. If my studies are good, is the first metal band from Quebec who have a, a website. Back in '97, really? Yeah, oh, and there was like an extra. Eh? Yeah, and so there was an extract of 30 seconds music about the first album of the Ragsy Imagery, and there was an email, but I didn't have an email myself back in the day, so I called Stephen Henry phone number that is still the same today. And, <laughs> I'm uh, sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so finally, I called him and I said, "Did you, you guys doing some show somewhere?" And uh, he catched that I um, I'm starting to love uh, Covadis with their first album, Forever. So it was in summer '97. 
And we just start to uh, talk over the phone about maybe putting a show in Rouen. There was only Anonymous who came in Rouen like a couple of years ago uh, with punk bands like Overbass or that kind of scene. So I said with my friend, well, we, we can put on a metal show. So uh, we put a, on a, the show Nerexis and Covadis. Nobody here really knew them. Uh, it was at the time when uh, to make discover the music to somebody else in school, we were having those yellow Walkman, you know, with tapes. Yeah, of course. And, uh, but, yeah. With, uh, the, uh, with the with the ears like this, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, you can take this, put it in your ear, just hear one bass drum, one guitar, one vocal, but it was enough to bring him to the show. <laughs> yo. So, so it was cool to do this. And this is where I discover uh, the whole metal scene, by the way, because uh, from there, uh, that show where there was about 400 people with mosh pits. Wow. And what we know from Rouen was already there, you know, at this time. So uh, that was my first show. And that's the original reason why I went later on singing Rags because of that event. That's amazing. It's the connections, eh? these little life decisions that lead to other things in our life. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Felix? Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to say that I was there at that show. <laughs> of course uh, you were. <laughs> and I, yeah, I did not even uh, knew Jan back then. Uh, but yeah, I was just, I was a kid. I, and um, as if there, if there was a show in town of any type of alternative music, I would show up basically. So uh, I went there and I fell in love with Covadis and I was into punk rock. I was not into metal like at all at that moment. Uh, but I did pick up the album and I tried to um, to learn uh, Legion of the Le- Legions of the Betrayed on my guitar, and I can still play that little riff, you know, a couple notes there, and then at a certain point, you know, I can't, it's 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 just too hard for me, so I stuck with punk rock. And uh, as a guitar player, <laughs> I kind of understood there that it was not going to be my jam as a guitar player, but. Um, yeah, my very first show was a local punk show uh, around 97. Also, I believe it was uh, in a school cafeteria, um, two lo- three local bands, CDN, Unfool, and Vacarme. And there also was the, the rapper Anada J, who was there between bands. And he later on started the uh, the label Discs and Ciel, and it's now like the, the one of the biggest hip-hop um, record labels in Quebec. He has uh, all, yeah, he has all the big names. But that was my first alternative show because before that, you know, I saw like Le Bibi and bands like that, but I still love them. And so I'm going to drink to that. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> and, wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to drink uh, to uh, Patrick Bourgeois and because um, he's, he's dead and that's sad. But um, uh, yeah, the, the, this scene that uh, Jan and me basically grew up in really mixed uh, punk rock metal and sometimes rap i don't think we had much um much choices you know at a certain point there began to be uh punk rock only shows and metal only shows and you know things started to to uh, be more precise in people tastes but at a, but in the in the very beginning and for a while, it, it was all mixed up and it was cool like that. You could have like either Grimskunk or Grooveyard work playing with Anonymous or Banlieue Rouge or, you know, any of those bands. And it was it was that 90s scene, you know, and it was it was fun to be part of that. It's awesome because you guys are all basically outlaws, you know, outside of the norm not commercial. So you guys were all fitting together, whether it was punk rock or metal. That's it. Or even rap or even, you know, I remember I had one, uh, one anti-racist skinhead. There was one skinhead in, in, in Rouen, of course, anti-racist, but, you know, so, and one straight edge guy. So you, he also was my friend. So we also had like this little hardcore straight edge scene. So at a certain point we had like three straight edges. So it was like they had a scene, you know? <laughs> I, love it, I love it. Let's talk about, this is a heavy Montreal presents Vox and Hops episode. So, so we have to talk about Montreal. I get asked this question just about every interview that I do when I go out in the world. Montreal is a prolific scene for the metal scene, but you know, it expands more from Montreal. We always end up in Montreal, but it comes from everywhere else in Quebec. So we can expand it to Quebec at this point. Why Quebec? Why does Quebec have so many extreme metal bands? Uh, this is a simple question coming not with a simple answer. So by the way, there's so many, I can compare with, uh, let's say Norway or Sweden or Finland that are small Nordic countries 
um, not isolated from the rest of Europe, but in their own zone, you know, in their own corner. And I think Quebec have probably something culturally uh, similar to these countries in terms of, uh, I can say that, uh, I think they, we evaluate in the same kind of conditions. It's um, a Nordic country. It's about 10 million people over here in Quebec province. And we have also a plenty of time to play music during winter time. It's six months a year. So I think uh, having your home jam spot, rehearsal spot, and jamming with your friends, uh, I think it is, it's something that we uh, have to do as an occupation. First, maybe as a hobby. And after this, it's coming more professional because we're going more better and better and more effective on our instruments. So I think when we start a band very young in Quebec, that you are from Rouen or Rimouski or Montreal, uh, you, I don't know. Um, I think the, the big magnet in the Quebec scene will always be Montreal. This is where you have to go to uh, meet the people, uh, meet the scene, meet, meet the medias and uh, well, label owner and stuff like this and the other bands. But let's say like uh, Necrotic Mutation, back in the days they were, back, they were, yeah, your shirt, they were living in Rimouski and they were linked to that Montreal scene, but they were also represented, re, they were representing Rimouski death metal scene back in the days. Now they move in Montreal like years ago. But back in the days, it was possible to have your own band in your area, like let's say in Rouen-Aranda or Saguenay-Lac-Saint-Jean or somewhere else. But after a couple of years, if you become more professional, you have mostly, it's suggested to move in Montreal to be in the heart uh, of the scene. So the reason why there's so many uh, bands in Quebec, I think it's because of winter, that we have a plenty of time, and we are still living in a, in a place where rock music always had a big impact since the 60s. Uh, and I think people are used to uh, hear like electric guitar sounds with drums and they take it from rock to grindcore. I think it's coming from the same, um, the same core, you know, it, it's based on bass, guitar, drum, vocals. So if you play rock or death metal, at least as it sounds electric, I think Quebecois will appreciate it some way. Mm. Be more open to it. Yeah. Yeah. We're a rock nation. Yeah. I love that. I love that. How about you, Felix? What's your take well, on this? I, I would I would go with the, uh, of course, historical point of view and um, to add to that. And, you know, the basic rough element of this music really matches with the basic rough attitude and culture of the, the of the regions around Montreal um, and also with this interesting um, I wouldn't say a paradox but um, the fact that there also is a very um, present taste for culture and um, it, it kind of Grew with the uh, the um, the arrival of the cégeps back in the so local colleges in Quebec um, back around 1967, and um, the network of uh, Quebec universities all around the province. At that point, we started to have uh, music courses um, available to basically everyone or anyone. It was almost free back then to go to college or university in Quebec. And uh, so you could go and study music. And it was a fun, basically, uh, this, uh, matter to study. <laughs> I'll put it that way. And um, they, all of those institutions also had these, um, these concert halls. They were called SUM, Salus Usage Multip. So basically a multi, uh, multi-usage room i don't know how to really so basically it could be theater or it could be a concert or it could be that's it exactly if, if you needed somewhere to gather people well you could use that place so either if it was for a show or something so it was it was possible at that moment to put together shows in these colleges um so you, they started to have bands from like, like local bands but also bands from the united states from the rest of canada or from europe to play in those rooms in those sims and uh so you could have bands like ted nugent's and boy dukes from detroit coming to play there around 1967 this really heavy psychedelic stuff 
Or you could have bands like Gentle Giant coming from the UK and tour uh, tour the colleges. It's it's weird when you think about it. You know, who tours colleges? They wouldn't do that in the rest of Canada. Neither would they do that in the United States. They would tour the bars or they would tour concert halls, maybe smaller places before they were very, very well known. So Genesis and Gentle Giant started doing that. Um, so you add these rough people that were the bikers because the biker biker culture was really big in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s in Quebec. And if you were there in the 90s, you know that um, up until that moment, until there was a crackdown on biker culture by the police, well, it was, they were basically ruling the province. Uh, they were the mafia. They were really, really dangerous, basically. But in the 70s, they were really present. Like every Every village had their biker club, so they would also put shows together. So you would have either Offenbach or April Wine playing uh, biker shows, and you would have Gentle Giant and Genesis playing the colleges, and it could happen in the same town, in same town, in the same during the same month. So people were mixing up, you know, in between the bikers and the the people of the colleges and stuff like that. So it it kind of made this weird mix in the 70s and the whole prog rock thing really did become a national identity thing um you would you would find elements of prog rock in commercial music in quebec and that's crazy that doesn't make any sense like the biggest band of the 70s in quebec is harmonium harmonium is progressive folk music and on their album um, Leptad, it's progressive rock basically they would sell 100,000 records and they would pack up arenas all around the province and also in in western Canada they would have a, they, they had a little success they also toured Europe and they toured California but so so how could you explain that you know other than the colleges um, being places where people were starting to discover new music and the whole uh, national identity thing really grew with the old progressive rock thing. And then you have kids like Piggy from Voivod who grows up in a, in such a context. And he starts picking up progressive rock licks and he starts, you know, liking that. But he's also living in a region where there are bikers everywhere and hard rock shows everywhere. So he's listening to stuff like Ocho's, um, a band in which he would play later on in his life. But he would like the progressive rock, but he would also go to see Anvil in the early 80s when they would come and tour in the biker um, in the biker network of bars. So basically you mix all that and you get Voivod. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you, you nailed it. <laughs> because I, I have been asked this question countless times and I threw this question at, actually it was thrown at us because for the two year anniversary episode of Vox and Hops, I sat down with Mike DeSalvo, Lord Worm, Martin Lacroix, and myself, all of the Cryptopsy vocalists. And this question was thrown at us and both uh, Mike and Worm were like, we just found the solution. We know what it is. And they said it's it's the prog rock scene. And the evolution of that into the extremity is not that far, but you, you like even tied in more dots. So now you are added to my credited answer whenever I get thrown this. Cause I've been, since I've been, since I did that interview, I've been answering Lord Worm and Mike DeSalvo have answered. So you are now added to that answer and I'm going to keep spreading the, the knowledge of why Quebec has extreme yeah, music. Well. And it's all in the book. Basically it's all because of the book that I, it's, it's because of tons of interviews and, you know, it's it's basically after years of doing research that I kind of realized that well, those are the principal moments where um, where it, it it grew out of of this province. The siege up thing I had never heard of or thought about, and the biker thing makes perfect sense, and the melding of the two makes perfect perfect sense. Hey, what's up, Fox and Hops heads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring 
the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Let's talk about the book. It's, uh, I've loved it for years. Like I've cherished, totally cherished my copy. Um, ever since I've, I've actually, my wife picked it up cause she loves books and I love books and she picked it up that night while I was on stage or after the stage, after that show, I can't remember. I don't know if she might have bought it from one of you guys. And, uh, <laughs> I loved it. It's amazing. Why did you guys make a book? Uh, Jan sort of mentioned a bit at the beginning why exactly it came to be, but I'd like a more concrete answer. Yeah. No, that, like the reason why is, is as I told you just before, it was like, because there was all these magazines, website, forums, uh, the whole scene, there was every, everything was written about what was happening in the scene, but it was not uh, put in, like, uh, concentrated in a book in only one volume. So it's it's basically because of that. And if you know the, the main, main, main reason why the core of that reason, maybe, Felix, you don't know this. Uh, I have some big argues with the guy from the Rags back in the days, but by uh, emails, you know. So I have some of these long emails pressing myself about the way we should do things and we should uh, blah, 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 blah. And finally, Robin Steven just told me, man, what the fuck? Why don't you just write a book, man? You know? <laughs> and I remember that in my kitchen in Montreal. Like, Rob was like so exhausted of like. like to read my long mails and it was like, Man, you're good to write, but it's we're in a metal band, you know, so why don't you just write a book? So and I said, hmm, that let's make some ways in my head, you know. So I talked to Louise Girard from Saint Frère and then Felix and we said, maybe we can put something all together because Felix was really interested in the sixties and the seventies and that proto metal uh like Proto-metal is the word I think he, uh, we just invented, but uh, I think it's uh, it, it was coming more and more metal, and we don't really know what happened before Voivod, you know? Sometimes we start the story of the scene in 91, 81, or 82, 83, when Voivod started to being a real band, but before them, there was other bands like DDT or other, many others rock bands that they were just a step before being heavy metal bands. So I think we shall put all together like uh, the rock, the rock bands, the punk bands, and finally coming through that uh, heavy metal scene of the of the eighties. So that's what the that part of the history is on because that book will be like the first maybe of two or three other tomes volumes coming. And the other, uh, the other one I'm doing, I'm not doing it with Felix. Uh, I'm doing it with uh, Louise Girard from Saint Frey magazine back in the days. So uh, she's more specialized in the 90s scene and she was there and she have all these archives and uh, that she have in boxes like very well conserved and everything. So the reason why we, uh, we finally wrote that book is because uh, I was writing too much to my death metal band. They were exhausted about this. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we decided that all this information was in the air, but we have to put the concert in one volume. So that's the reason why I think we're kind of intellectual with rockers, metal heads, and we like to put in words what we live in emotions during the life, I think. I love this. I, I love it. I love it. So well done. Uh, what were some of the biggest uh, challenges putting this together? Man, finding people. <laughs> that are still around, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Finding people like, um, you know, they weren't that tough to find, but I, I give them as an example, as an example, because um, a lot of people can know them. Guys like the guys from Damnation. Um, these guys were stoners, like heavy stoners in the 80s. They were doing drugs and drinking and stuff like that. And they have not all turned out well. Uh, not all of them. So Back in 2000, I'd say when I first started doing research around 2007, and then when I really got into that around 2011, 12, 13, 14, well, it came out in 2014 first, uh, at first in French. Um, 
Yes, we had Facebook. Yes, we had ways of uh, reaching people um, on the internet, but not everybody was on there. It was hard to find those people. You know, if you played in a in in a heavy metal band in 1984, where are you today, man? Honestly, like sometimes you the only thing you have is a name. Like, uh, let's get also if I think about Damnation, their drummer is called Thud. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so that was like in Googling 80s, thud, 80s, yeah. that's it. Damnation thud, you know, you, I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's 2007 and he played in, in, in 1987. I'm like, okay, so how do I find this guy? Well, you know, the thing what happened is that um, a friend of my of mine, Roy Vuccino, who plays in Red Mass, and he's, he's one of the top Montreal musicians, in my opinion, well, he was practicing like right next door to Pascal Thaddeño and he said I oh, my friend he used to play in Damnation I'm like oh my god so that's a, that's a clue man I need to talk to that guy find me a phone number so that's, that's the type of thing that happened so that was really tough to find those guys um, some of them I was not able to find and at a, at a certain point I was pretty sure that I had found all of the the bands that had existed in Quebec or maybe just heard their name or read their name somewhere. And um, the two last bands that I had not found uh, anything about, nor had I heard their name, were bands from my own region. They were from Baldal, right? No way. Right, very close to Hawaii. Uh, one of them is called Invulnerable Terrorist. It's a, it's a memorable <laughs> <And the> name. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and the other one is called uh, Irrev... Oh, geez, I, I can't remember the name, but... Both their uh, demos and uh, were uh, were put out on uh, on vinyl recently by um, uh, OU Nothing Records, and um, and they just put out actually uh, Capitalist Alienations only LP. Also, uh, early overbass uh, guys uh, that were friends with Voivod. Anyways, it's a cool label, but yeah. So I and I'm still a bit mad that those. Two bands, Invulnerable uh, Terrorist and the other one, um, are not in the book, not even mentioned because they were really hard. Uh, it took so many years to get an English copy. What were some of the challenges to finally get an English copy? Was that something that you wanted to do initially, or is it a, uh, something that came in your mind later? It's... um. I think at first we knew that most of the fans of the Quebec metal scene bands were living outside of Quebec. So they were at least English readers, you know. Uh-huh. So uh, we decided to put it in French at first. And when we decided with our uh, editor, Les Editions du Quartz, uh, maybe to have a, a subvention when you receive money from the government. How do you call this in English? Uh, a subvention. It's exactly, it's exactly the same. So we got we asked them to have a subvention to uh, find a, um, a translator, and uh, finally a girl uh, that born and raised in the Hawaii but now live in Get Snow. We knew that she was a doctor in traduction or something like that. It was like that thing exists, all right? So we went through her and asked her if she can do it. She gave us a rate, and finally, Edition du Quartz put the money on. Uh, with Geneviève, but it takes about two years to be translated correctly because there was a lot of rereading uh, to make sure that the language uh, sounds uh, okay, natural and not very just French translated to English. You know, it have to be some fluid. So yes, it went. We with the process went to a lot of uh, readers, French readers, English readers, bilingual readers, and whatever. So that was a long process, but I was, uh, but also was the first time for us that we were translating a book from French to English, and also it was the first time our editor was doing this also. So I think that the main problem was uh, only the time it took, because it took like seven years or six years and a half after the French version it came out. So it was kind of long, but also. The the, uh, the upcoming other volumes that will cover the 90s and uh, the 2000s or maybe will just come on the, on the market in, in a year. So the fact that the English version went out on January or February 2021 uh, will give the impression to the international reader at least this is a new project. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it's come kind of reborn to reborn to the project to make sure that when we're going to have the two other the other volumes, uh, it 
it will be uh, in the same bus. So, so now in, in the US, the, the book is, is selling very well, by the way. And uh, so in a year or two, if we, if we have a French version of the volume two and in three years, let's say we have an English version of that other book. So it will not be that long in between the others because it was long because it was our first time we were putting uh, in this kind of project. You know? And let me come clean about that because I have a little conf- confession to make. Um, I was not of, uh, of a lot of help uh, uh, on, uh, you know, in that whole um, translation pro- process. I told Jan, man, at that point, after the book uh, came out in French, and it, it, it was really overwhelming, the whole success that we had. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because it was really tiring. I, was, I had no idea what I was stepping into, you know, when <laughs> the whole... It, it really came. It really became very, very big. I was really happy about it, but um, I was really exhausted after that. So I could not jump into the whole uh, translation project right after the book came out. And at a certain point, I said, "I said, Jan, um, you do that. You do the whole thing, or I, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not. I can't. I can't put my head into that, my energy into that because I." You know, I, I just was not able to do to do it. So Yan worked really hard on that. And we also have, I believe, to mention that um, our editor basically almost closed um, in between. Jeez, and yeah. Yan and me worked and uh, many other people worked really hard to put that back on track and give this editor like a, a second um, a second wave of energy because the the the. They, they already had some, let's say that was a very small editor, uh, regional editor. They never really sold more than 300 copies of any book they put out. And now they had sold 3,000 copies of that yeah, book. Yeah. So <laughs> it was overwhelming for them. It was overwhelming for anyone, everyone in there. And uh, it also, the, the success of the book, allowed them to pay a lot of their debts. And after the debts were paid, they were like, okay, we're done with this. <laughs> we need to, we need to move on. Yeah. yeah. And then we said, no, 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 no. You can't move on because we have more books to put out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's why they're still here. It's kind of simply put, but, but Jan really did put a lot of energy into that. And uh, either um, are we, either we're talking about um, putting the, the, the editor back on track and translating the book so kudos to Jan because he did a lot of work on that it took years but it, it took uh, a lot of work absolutely i love that um let's let's you were talking about two more tomes uh what would be the year spans for the next two ones and you're saying that you're seeing the french one coming out within a year for the tome two and then within four years hypothetically a tome three so let, let's talk about the future of no speed limit but it's really simple. Um, at first, our original idea, like 15 years ago, was to do just one book. Felix was supposed to do like the first part of the book. Mm-hmm. Louise was supposed to be the second part, and I was supposed to uh, to be uh, in charge of this of the third part. But finally, there was so many stuff, so many research that we decided to put it not in chapters but in books. Okay, mm-hmm. so the the book of Felix finally is the first chapter of that of that big idea we had. So so a very long chapter. Yeah, very long <laughs> chapter. Yeah. So that first uh, covers 1964 to 1989. So it's covering all the the rock, the uh, not the hip, uh, like the 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 old rock, the rock prog, and then we have those biker rock stuff, and then finally coming with Voivod and Anvil and trash metal bands. And finally, in 89, we heard a band like Gargots or Necronomicon doing some death metal. So we decided that in 89, the scene was changing. And so the volume two will be from 1989 to 1997. So it will cover uh, the last part of the 90s where we were uh, working without internet. So we were still in tape trading. We were still in uh, sending, uh, you know, mess, written message to the mail, like pen pals. Okay, so we decided to stop in the '97 because of that. Because in 1998, internet is is really coming through through the scene, 
Everybody will have a website and it will revolutionate the whole way of recording, uh, promoting yourself. Everything will change. There was kind of re internet revolution through the scene. So we decided to concentrate ourselves on volume two from 89 to 97. So it will cover when the, the, the metal scene in Quebec became to be mm, uh, trash metal to death metal. So the name will be Trash Till Death. So that will be I the name that. of the uh, the next volume, Trash Till Death. So because uh, like 90% of the bands, most of them demo bands uh, in Quebec in the 90s were doing um, mostly primitive death metal. And some of them were doing some really progressive death metal. I remember a small band, Cryptopsy, I think. They were doing this kind of uh, technical stuff and it was really impressive. So... In this scene, we have like Cataclysm, we have uh, Cryptopsy, we have Gorgots, you know, coming with Obscura album and everything. So, um, and we see also the transformation of the just the alternative scene, also like band like Groovy Artvark, Grimskunk, uh, Overbass, a little bit more related to maybe the punk alternative scene, but they're playing in the same venues, they are promoted by the same promoters, they have the same kind of situation as the metal bands. So we put them together also. So it's not just about metal, it's metal and it's alternative tentacles around. And the volume three, <laughs> alternative tentacle, I think it's a label with dead Kennedys also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Jello Biafra's label. Yeah, it's a great, great name. I didn't know that. And uh, the last volume, at least, uh, I think it will still will be with me and Louise Girard, uh, will be from 98 to 2008. So that will cover that 10 years where the scenes literally explode. So more bands were uh, from Montreal going to tour in the US, Europe, becoming more international bands, as I can say. And also a uh, lot of uh, home, uh, home-made bands, you know, uh, doing music on their, in their room with the internet, with Pro Tools. So that's kind of revolution. We're not doing it in a big studio. We're not to, uh, obliged to uh, to be in an old school way of doing rock, you know, uh, things that. Uh, well. So finally, it's uh, we'll explore a little bit the uh, the underground mentality, and also we'll stop in 2008 because in 2008 or 2007, sorry, this is where we celebrate the 25th years of the Quebec metal scene with the relating to the first. Uh, Voivod album, as I can say. So amazing. You know, and in 2007, we had a show, the 25 years of the Quebec metal scene by Maurice Richard. So mm -hmm. he promoted that show in Club Soda with uh, Oblivion and Soothsayers and bands who didn't play since years. So that other book will stop at this point. If there will be a volume four, I don't know, maybe I will be 50 years old around this time. So let's start for a second one for sure. He's almost done. The third one is on the way, and let's see for after. So that's basically the 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 project. I love it's incredible. I love it. Uh, how would you feel about someone one day turning this all into a documentary? Well, um, I would feel very good about it <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I, I think. It did I just sound like Jerry Seinfeld? Because I'm a big Seinfeld fan. <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, so, no, no, really, honestly, I t tomorrow morning, I, am, I have a meeting no with someone who wants to do that, and it's tomorrow morning. Oh, well, fingers um, crossed, babe. Yeah, fingers crossed, totally. Um, I, I think this would have, actually, to... to to, to become a documentary and when it came out actually there's this guy called david Laye. so yeah. he, he was um he was a big comedian in, in quebec in the uh, in the 90s he was playing in dramas and stuff like that and he now lives in california and after the book came out he called me up and he said we have to do a documentary about that and i said amazing why not and he never he never gave me any news but at that point i realized that um yeah it, it, it should it should turn into a documentary, but um, yes, this this would have, uh, and there's still stuff to find, demos to find, and people to interview, and um, there's uh, places to visit, like the mustache I, I was talking about earlier on. Like, does this place still exist? Is there still a stage somewhere? Mm. Um, you know, there's the history. There's a lot of stuff to find, I believe. So yeah, it was. It would be crazy. I'd love that. And uh, yeah, and how would you feel if someone 
when you don't have the energy to do this anymore, continues to put out tomes? Um, but as we uh, as we wrote it in the, um, the very uh, first page of that the first book, we said that we are not the um, we are not the only two person who have the uh, the. Uh, can I read it? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because, okay. Um, we do not claim that our version is the definitive one. We invite we invite every reader of this book who might have insight or who is in possession of new documents to contact us and join our portion of the story or write it by himself. So, if somebody, like, like more people will write about it, more I will be happy, you know? Uh, I just, I don't consider that as my uh, my job to put the Middle East story scene, uh, blah, 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 in books. I'm doing this because I love this project, Felix also and Louise, but if other people want to make a follow-up and do some inchiking on what we already done before he's more than welcome you know mm. it's amazing absolutely it is important to um i believe leave this space for other people to do their own research and come up with new perspectives because this is history and history um even though it's in the past it's alive in the sense that we keep on um interpreting history in different ways as we evolve as a society and as humans. So um, in 20 years from now, in five years from now, I mean, it's, we're already uh, seven years uh, after the first version of the book. Well, uh, we already have new perspectives in this society. So there would there are different ways of seeing the past. Uh, and there are, are people that I have not been been able to find that need to talk. So anyone who wants to do that sort of like like jason newstead right man i wish he's he's like the guy i wanted to talk to to speak with uh speak talk anyways i have a chat with <laughs> the most uh i tried all i could i was in contact with uh, his pr agent and stuff like that but it did not happen into 2013 but um i want this guy to tell us um how important voivod were to him and maybe to Metallica, but just to, to the whole Californian early trash metal scene, basically. I, I'd love to get that perspective. I would definitely love it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> um, It's out there, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap this up. I, I'm in awe of what you guys have created. It's it's amazing, and I'm so stoked that it's out there in English for, for more people to learn about what happened here in Quebec. It's it's a truly special place. I'm very lucky to have grown up here and to have had this this beautiful, beautiful community to, to learn so much from. Uh, let's wrap this up with a classic Vox and Hops wrap-up question. Probably doesn't happen to you very often, Yann, because you're taking care of yourself but uh felix i'm, I'm curious and, and maybe you can tell me what your cure was back in the day but what are your hangover cures uh well uh, it's it begins with uh gatorade or powerade what, Usually, co what color uh, what color blue blue powerade uh blue powerade powerade zero actually and uh <laughs> because i now i am diabetic so uh i i have to, to go for the the zero Blue Powerade, but thankfully um, it's got my color in the zero <laughs> formula. And um, well, that's basically it. Awesome, awesome. How about you, Yan? Did it, when you used to get hangovers? Yeah, yeah. It, it happens to you know. I toured in Aragas, you know, so I got some hangovers on tour, of course, man. Um, usually, it's pretty Quebecois to say this, but I'm smoking weed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So wake up in the morning, uh, put some hot knives on the oven. Not a joke. Yes, yes. Puffo <laughs> cut hot knives. Yeah. And uh, I'm doing some three, four, five, six hot knives just with drinking some Powerade, like Felix said. And after this, seriously, uh, I feel better. I, I have to admit, I feel better, like normal, and my day can go on. Yeah, seriously. Give me what's the Quebec version of hot knives? What do you call it? Puff au cut. Puff au couteau, puff au couteau. Yeah, hot knives. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Phoenix, Ian, thank you so, so much for taking the time, having a chat with me, talking about life, metal, and craft beer. Everyone, please go order the History of Quebec Metal. It is available on Brazilians Points. I will put the link of that in the description of this podcast. Do it. It's, it's a true gem of metal history, and uh, I love it. 
Cheers to you guys. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with me. All right, man, Matt. Thank you very much. Merci, Félix. We live in the same town, but we never see each other, so that's fine. <laughs> Don't want to see that guy. <laughs> hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an amazing, informative chat. I think that they've cracked it. I think that they've figured it out. The true, true reason as to why so many bands have come from here, and now we know why. Thank you, Felix. Thank you, Yan. Go pick up that book. I've put the link for you to purchase it in the description of this podcast. And trust me, I've been cherishing my French version for quite some time. And you will absolutely, absolutely love this book. If you enjoyed this episode, you should absolutely go sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened throughout the past week in the world of the Vox and Hops metal podcast including all of the details for any episodes which i've dropped throughout that past week if i've been a guest on someone else's podcast news about some cool exciting projects that i have in the works as well as the links to any upcoming live interview thirsty thursday virtual hangs which i'm excited to tell you right now coming up this thursday i shall be hanging out with ken sorceron of abigail williams do it people sign up to the vox and hops metal podcast mailing list trust me this is a party that you do not want to miss the vox and hops metal podcast is brought to you by sound talent media i have one more episode coming at you this friday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops hits welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute what's the name of that podcast that's axe to grind uh and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.